Hello and welcome to the Takes It Took, where we only speak the truth in the truth we speak. That's a good bit. Uh, um, I am not took, your host today. He took my take. I took his take. The take is took. My, the take's stolen. That's the triple truth. Ruth. Ruth. all talk about a movie we've seen recently which is what we're gonna do right now am i have i been elected to go first go for it i can go first if you want but <sighs> okay <clears throat> i watched this movie called the world according to garp um i'm gonna make this short because i don't think you could ever go <laughs> on too long about this movie because it is so wrong in so many ways i don't even know really where to begin but the premise is it's it's robin williams and his mom raises him and played by glenn close who's only like 10 years older than him yeah so for the first like i don't know 30 minutes just is kind of him as a kid and his mom raising him no real rhyme or reason to it why does it happen i don't know we also find out that she had him because she had sex with an american soldier while he was in a coma on a hospital bed it's weird he goes to college his mom is like this weird like proto-feminist who like is against lust but it's not really like feminism it's very bizarre he starts writing and then she starts writing and then she comes out with like this manifesto that all the women in the u.s love and so she becomes this very popular like controversial figure he writes literature and he becomes like critically well received but not and it's just weird shit happens There's, she runs like a cult house she runs like a cult house with it's so bizarre there's there's a bit where a dog bites him and then and then he bites the dog there's high speed blowjob accidents there's a plane crashes into a house john lithgow is a trans person none of that second half that you just talked about sounds like the first half no it's It's not so bizarre and none of it really makes sense it just sort of happens and i don't understand why there's bits and complications that don't work and the ending is just absurd it was an awful movie, but it was very entertaining to watch because it was very awful. And the dude's name is Garp. He garps all over the place. <laughs> he garping. He's garping here, he's garping there, the religion of Garp. There were a couple different moments when we were watching this where Stefan just got up from the couch and was just it, pacing around the room. <laughs> yeah, the, I will say, you know, it achieved something that most movies don't do where it, it got me out of my seat because I, I was just so, it was so absurd. Well, I, as usual, also watched a movie. Okay. We I do watched, that here. It, what? We do that here. We do do that here. <laughs> Doo-doo. Doo-doo. Uh, I watched a movie called Ethel and Ernest. Uh, this sounds familiar. Well, it, it's, it was originally a, a novel by a British author. Uh, it's his, like, true, it's a true story about him, about his parents. Effectively, it's, it's this movie about this... British couple living through it's their whole life. So they, you know, get together, they live through World War II, uh, they have a kid, they grow old, at the end they die. Um, I watched this whole movie on TikTok. Like actually the whole movie? Actually the whole movie in fucking clips. Like thirty five clips on TikTok over the course of a couple like a week. I can or tell something. you a couple of people are 
are seething. I, I bet you if you told Scorsese that or <laughs> Quentin Tarantino that you watched it on your phone on TikTok in yeah. 35 segments, they would blow a gasket and probably die. <laughs> yeah. It's it's crazy. It's the I don't want to say it's the future, but I mean like being that able like the the least efficient way to watch. It's not a movie. it's not efficient, but <laughs> it kind of like shows you know maybe the new attention span of. Oh yeah, it, sure. It shows that. <laughs> yeah, uh, where like you just t- you intake stuff by little bits. I got the whole movie. I watched all of it. You know, they would come out in like five bits every now and then. I would just like scroll through those five, and I'm like, okay, can't wait for the next part. I'm oh excited. My <laughs> Miles, that's insane. That's, that is insane. <laughs> Sorry, Scorsese. All right, Sorry. Leave, leave a comment. Sorry. Sorry, the theater-going experience. Yeah. Oh, dude, film bros are... <laughs> Find out this one trick that film bros hate. <laughs> you, it's not... It's. Not, I don't even really have an issue that you watch it on your phone. It's like you watch it <laughs> in segments on TikTok. Just just watch it like like as it's intended. Why'd you... Uh, you, you, you bastardized it. <laughs> yeah. You chopped it up. You dissected it. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> Okay, well, moving on, I'll talk about a movie that I watched recently that um, I had a grand old time watching this, and it's a movie called Scent of a Woman mm-hmm. with Al Pacino. Scent of a Woman. There. Scent of a Woman. Because he's blind. So uh. he's, a, he's a blind vet who uh, his family has to go leave for the weekend. What kind of animals does he take care of? <laughs> he has <laughs> a cat. That's good. He does have a cat. Um, and what does he tell that cat? He says, when in doubt, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> the cat? Um, I like it. But basically, so his family is going away for the weekend. So they hire this boy who's like about 18 mm-hmm. to kind of like watch him for the weekend. And when the boy shows up, Al Pacino's like, oh, yeah, I'm flying to New York. And the kid's like, well, well I don't know. And so then it's them in New York. And then you find out that basically Pacino is kind of getting some dirty laundry done with like his family and mar- knocking off a couple of his bucket list items and he's going to kill himself because okay. he's suicidal yeah. um but because he's like blind in it and i'd seen like little segments i thought it was going to be a little bit more goofy and more laughable mm-hmm. because what? there's a there's a scene oh you mean like his performance as a blind man yes yeah. he won an oscar for this by the way yeah he, he yeah he did better at that aspect than i thought he would. yeah it, there's a scene that's very famous where he's on a plane and he goes tits he goes, tits hua Big ones, little, little ones. ones, staring right search at searchlights, staring right at staring you, staring right at me, <laughs> like little searchlights. He goes legs, like Greek pillars or secondhand Steinways. <laughs> he like he just he goes. Make sure you, make sure you catch this. I'm giving you pearls of wisdom here. here. He's just really funny. The way he delivers lines mm. is just it was, it was cracking me up all throughout. It was a it. two and a half hour long movie, but it did not feel like that. At least not for me, because no. his performance was just so funny. It's his delivery, the, the things he said, the way he said them was so funny. <laughs> I just, I like didn't care what was going on. I just wanted to watch him do more of whatever he was doing. Yeah, just him going, hua. Sounds good. Yeah, it Why was. Why is it sense of a woman? Because he's blind. Because he and pays attention. He pays attention to the yeah. sense of women. So if a woman walks by, he can like tell. Mm-hmm. He also like can identify the soap or the perfume that she wears. Yeah. Anyway, that was the movie that I watched. Very fun. Would recommend. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Another movie. Uh, the right. Do the right. Do the thing. right thing. 
Do you want to try that again where you get the you name the of it right? the wrong thing, Miles. No. No, Miles did, did the wrong I thing. I did the wrong thing. He did the wrong thing. I had She's Gotta Have It stuck on the brain. <sighs> Different Spike Lee movie. All right. Different well, um, hmm, that's funny. Uh, I've never heard of this movie. Could you guys explain what happens in this movie? I would love to explain what happens in this movie. Mariah, what happens in this movie? All right. Mariah. Miles uh, would love to explain what happened in this movie. Could you explain what happened in this movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can. So, do the right thing. It's it's set in Bedford Stuy in Brooklyn, New York, and it's a hot, sweltering day in the summer. Tensions rise in a predominantly black neighborhood amongst its residents. So it's really kind of like an ensemble cast movie. We have Sal, who owns the pizzeria, with his two sons, Pino and Vito. Um, Pino is very racist and he wants to try to convince it to move his father out of the neighborhood um to more like quote unquote their kind you know there's mookie the delivery boy who's played by spike lee um that's spike lee yeah yeah uh-huh. that's crazy um <laughs> uh, <this is> <laughs> uh he constantly makes detours along his delivery pass he goes home takes a shower he goes and sees his girlfriend we have, I forget the exact DJ name, played by Samuel L. Jackson before he went by Samuel Senor L. Jackson. love daddy. Yeah. We have Radio Raheem, who is a guy who constantly plays Fight the Power on his stereo as he walks around. There's a guy named Smiley, who's constantly trying to sell these color drawings uh, that he has of MLK and Malcolm X. We've got Demer, who is kind of this old drunkard who kind of wanders around the street. There's mm-hmm. Sister Mother, who observes everything that happens, and Demer is kind of in love with her. There's a Korean shop owner who is... Played by Steve Park, who is Mike in Fargo. If you remember that scene where Francis McDormand goes to have like lunch, and he like breaks down and cries. Do you remember? I do not. Oh, bummer. Okay, I do. Anyway, that's him. Um, there's also a guy named Buggin' Out, who mm-hmm. is played by Giancarlo Esposito, who he goes into the pizzeria and demands that Sal put up a man of color on his wall of fame, which only features Italian Americans. Um, so he says he's going to go around and get petition and get everybody to boycott Sal's. Um, again, since this ensemble, people, it kind of just goes from like scene to scene. There's kids playing in a fire hydrant. There's three older gentlemen kind of sitting and shooting the shit in front of this very colorful red wall. Mookie visits his girlfriend and their son. Um, there's a, a very good scene where Mookie confronts Pino for his bigotry, pointing out that all of Pino's favorite celebrities are black. Um, there's a sequence where Mookie, Pino, police officer, and the Korean shop owner all like talk pointedly to the camera and use racial slurs and talk about the problems they have with different minorities. Um, and so then all while this is happening, bugging out, Radio Raheem and Smiley kind of team up and they say, we're going to boycott. And they go over to the pizzeria. That's more than half the movie. Right? I know, I'm sorry. Definitely more than half the movie. So I will take the last tiny little bit. The final portion of this movie uh so it's, it's hard to sum up a lot of it a lot of this movie is just kind of meandering like yeah. little anecdotes yeah. of things happen here you know they oh they play the fire hydrant here they have a conversation there blah 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 blah. bugging out radiohead smileys radio <laughs> radiohead radiohead oh radio raheem <laughs> i'm a creep <laughs> I'm a weirdo. That's all he plays on his boombox. <laughs> Where the hell are they here? So they go. Very different movie. <laughs> <laughs> they go to the pizzeria. Radio Rahim's boombox gets destroyed. He gets into a fight. The cops are called. The cops kill a man because that's what cops do. And then the pizzeria gets burned down. 
and then that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, the pizzeria gets burned down. The the Korean shop is almost met with the same fate. But um, I'm sorry, did you not like spared. my? No. Well, way. I think it's really important to mention that at the end, uh, Sal and Mookie kind of uh, come to terms with what happened, and that there's a, a Be- reconciliation because of Mookie is the, the one who's basically they reconcile. Um, they well, kill we'll, each other. We'll, but they we'll weren't happy with no, one but no, they weren't happy. But I think one one thing. That's very important that happens at the end is, you know, Sal asks Mookie, he's like, so what are you doing? Like, how are you? Right. He's invested in his well-being um, after this whole event. And Mookie's the one who throws the first trash can into the pizzeria. Yeah. That's Mookie's kind of important. A son of a bitch. <laughs> All right. Okay. We'll talk about that. I All right. hate Mookie. Yeah. <laughs> I hate Mookie. All right. We'll get there. All right. All right. Stefan, we'll, why don't you, why don't you, we'll turn it over to you. What you got for us? It's the hottest day of the summer. You can do nothing, you can do something, <laughs> or you can do the right thing. A Spike Lee joint. My focus today, here, just kind of the schedule is we're going to do a crash course on Spike Lee in case you don't know who he is because I didn't really know much about him. Uh, we're going to do a bit on production. We talk about how a movie is made. We're going to f- focus on directing and acting because the actors brought a lot to the table with their influences. And because this is a very character heavy movie, I think it's important to uh, focus on that. And then we'll have a little time for just discussion in general. So you guys listening at home can use that as a roadmap if you're like, oh, I hate when they talk about this part. Just jump ahead of the bit you like, I guess. I love you. <clears throat> we don't have timestamps, though, so you're going to have to wing. No, you'll just have to listen. You can tell by the inflection. If I'm being kooky or serious, you'll know generally mm-hmm. by how loud I am. If I'm quiet, that that's how you know I'm saying something important. Uh, this movie, Do the Right Thing was released on June 30th, 1989. Directed, written, produced by Spike Lee. That's what we call an auteur. And starring. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he's starring, like... yes. Uh, music by Bill Lee, who is actually Spike's father. What? I got something wrong in my head. Oh, okay. No. Yeah. Bill Lee, Spike's father. I got all. something wrong Don't in my head. Don't we all got something wrong You got something wrong. Do the wrong <laughs> <laughs> it had a budget of six million dollars. It made thirty-seven point three million dollars, thirty-one point three million dollar profit. That's pretty cool. It stars Spike Lee, Danny Aiello, Roll the R, Giancarlo Esposito. I did that wrong. Giancarlo Esposito, because if you didn't know this, he's Italian. His Who? dad's Italian and his mom was black. So his role in this movie is actually very interesting because it's about conflicts between Italian and black people. So hey. Crazy. That's um, bugging out. He's, he's uh, Gus in Breaking Bad. That's his big thing. Uh, Which is interesting because I, I told Mariah this, like his role in that is one that's very subdued and subtle and he's menacing in his lack of emotion, whereas here he's very explosive and loud and all over the place. So it was like the, uh, the, uh, the uh, interesting uh, range. The, the meme where he's laughing and then he gets really serious. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, John Turturro, Ossie Davis, lots of people in this movie, huge ensemble cast. Who the hell is Spike Lee? Anyone know who the spell Spike Lee is? I went to the Los Angeles Academy of Motion Pictures. Ooh, that's a good place Museum. to learn. Mm-hmm. And they had a Spike Lee exhibit. And I went, I don't know who this is. So I skipped over all of it. Yeah. Aww. Well, film people probably know who he is, but other people might not. A lot of film people not. are probably going to be pissed at me today. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, we're here to learn. This we're was certainly a gap in my knowledge, which is kind of why I'm covering it. Is, you know, I don't know much. So get more into it. Spike Lee, put it lately, is um, one of the most prolific african-american filmmakers in the united states as well as just filmmaking in general this is the part where i don't get mad um when i'm told to talk louder 
and <laughs> he's known hold for on, he's known for hold his. On, hold on, just hold on. turn the gain up. You just, think I'm gonna cut that out? Just <laughs> yeah, turn you thought I'm gonna cut that out? I'm not gonna cut that out. I want him to know. I want him to know. <laughs> but I'm just trying to get level audio for you to work with. Because why I, are you stopping me? I'm on a roll. The, the train's going through. Don't stop me. You, don't can, stop. you can wave me up to talk louder, but don't stop me, baby. You can't. <laughs> Spike Lee is known for his very subtle style of filmmaking. Just kidding. He's not. He's very expressive style of filmmaker. And uh, almost always his films are centralized on race, crime, politics, black community, and poverty, usually in the U.S. Boobies. Other Spike Lee movies are Malcolm X, uh, Black Klansman, and, of course, Old Boy the remake we don't talk about that one and she's got to have it which is his first movie i when i was looking up this movie i saw saw the remake and i went i don't know about that one i don't know what happened i don't know why that occurred it it, we don't we're not going to talk about it. Is it an animated movie no it's a live action so there's park chan wook's movie which is very good it's i can't find it anywhere i want to watch it again but i can't find it anywhere spike lee did like an american localized version of it and it's really bad Damn. so we're just not going to talk about his it his most I, recent one was defy bloods on netflix if you saw Defy that. bloods is his most recent movie very good got jean renault in it love that french man spike has only received an academy nomination for best screenplay for do the right thing and best documentary for four little girls and he was given an honorary award in 2015 but in 2018 Black Klansman came out and uh, he received six nominations and he did win best adapted screenplay so and Samuel L. Jackson, Dr. Love Daddy. Wait, is that what it is? Dr. Love Daddy? Senior, Senior Love, Love Daddy. Daddy um, got to present it to him. And so I just get no love. <laughs> so no, if you've, if you've seen seniors. that clip from the Oscars where uh, Spike Lee runs up and yeah, jumps on and clings to <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson. Like a, <laughs> like a little koala. But the Academy isn't everything. And uh, they could be silly. Uh, I don't really care what the Academy says. They almost always give animation awards to Disney. And uh, they awarded Roman Polanski after he, you know, fled the United States for bad activities. So (laughs) Academy doesn't have the highest credibility in my book, personally. Mr. Spike was born in Atlanta, Georgia, to mother Jacqueline Carroll and father William James Edwards. So his name's not Bill Lee. It's William. People, People change the name William to Bill. Don't know why. His father was a jazz musician. He played bass for lots of people, Mariah, Perk Your Ear Up. He's played for Cat Stevens, Aretha Franklin, Simon and Garfunkel, Bob Dylan. Those ears are max perked. <laughs> Plus a lot of other people. She's that's just mad perking, dude. That's just a few. What? Are you perking too hard? She's, per- she's perking she's too perked. hard. Anyways, he has three younger siblings. They all moved to Brooklyn when he was young. His sister, Joy Lee, actually played his sister in this movie. Oh. Cool. Fun. Apparently, he hires them here and there to be in his movies. Well, I mean, when you're the famous one and everyone, all your other siblings are failures. Yeah. Don't know I know what that's like. Just because they're not (laughs) famous? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Fame equals success. We all know this. It's 100% true. Mariah. If you're an American, you know this. This is why we're successful. Mm-hmm. Okay. His mother nicknamed him Spike. Uh, so his birth name is actually Shelton Jackson Lee. Sh- Sheldon? Shelton? Bazinga. Bazinga. <laughs> um, and according to his speech for the Black Klansman, uh, Spike Lee said that his grandmother saved up 50 years of social security checks to put him through Morehouse College and NYU grad school. 
That's pretty cool. Shout and out, uh, Spike's first short film in NYU and his thesis project was something called Joe's Bed Study Barbershop, We Cut Heads. Also, apparently he went to school with Ang Lee, who AD'd on this short film. Oh. Ang Lee did Brokeback Mountain. He did Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. He did The Life of Pi. And okay, see, you Life of Pi. Gemini Man. Did you Mission Impossible 2? Gemini Man? Yeah, Gemini Man. Was he Mission Impossible 2? No, no, that's John Woo. John John Woo was Mission Impossible 2. Damn, got them mixed up, my bad. His first film was She's Gotta Have It in 1985 with a budget of $175,000 and a box office of $7.1 million. Damn. His second film was School Days, spelled D-A-Z-E, mm-hmm. which had a budget of $6.5 million and made $14 million. Damn. So, so far, he's exactly doubled how much profit he's made. And this last one, the third one, Do the Right Thing, made $30 million. Uh, he's done a lot of other things, but for our sake, that's where I'm going to end the Spike Lee timeline. Yeah. And uh, to finish up on set, uh, Spike Lee here, he's very active in the political sphere as well as, the, you know, the criticism sphere. You know, he, he lets his opinions be known. He's had a couple of feuds with like Clint Eastwood. He had a thing with him. He's made a lot of comments on, you know, racial, social issues that happen in America as they happen, as you can imagine. He's also, um, he's got a feud with Quentin Tarantino. Who doesn't? Um, I got a feud with Quentin Tarantino. You do? Why? Don't you dare say feet. <laughs> I was going to say feet. I knew it. I, <laughs> I can read your mind like was, a book. I was going to say, he came up to me one day and said, show me your feet, and I didn't, and mm. he assaulted me to try to smell my feet, and I haven't been on good terms with him since. Well, anyways, <laughs> Spike and Quentin feud. Spike, um, because I'm going to say this as objectively as I can, Spike has claimed Quentin Tarantino of you know um, appropriating black culture, which... I see, you know, a lot of his movies have that kind of style. And I think it's because that's what Quentin was inspired by as a kid. Also, this one, you can't argue. Quentin's excessive use of the N-word in his movies. Yes. That's just kind of objective fact. Yeah, he uses that a lot. Yeah. Um, so for those reasons, Spike Lee, when Django came out, Spike Lee was like, I hate this movie. It's like a disgrace to my ancestors. And Quentin Tarantino's response was to say, I'm never going to talk or work with spike lee ever again and that's where it was left oh man they have not reconciled oddly enough though he doesn't say quentin tarantino doesn't say the n-word in django not himself no yeah. no but everyone else like, does yeah you yeah, yeah. think that's the one time well he, well he the issue is that he's, he's the one writing it in yeah. but but django i mean django i guess it's like time accurate i guess so if yeah, you're gonna well, make an argument saying. for any of them it'd be like that if, one if he's gonna get in quotes a pass for any of this he says mm-hmm. it more in pulp fiction pulp fiction yeah well and samuel jackson who's good friends with both of them tried to like kind of get him to mediate right? yeah. he was like hey like i respect both of your guys like creative decisions and like we're friends can we like figure this out and they're like no Damn. imagine being so, the middle friend yeah the middle child now we're gonna get into production anyone have any notes thoughts comments concerns um anything you want to review this will be on the test. Was it done in New York? Yes. Into production we go. A lot of the information I got for all of my information that I got for all my information that I got is from a making of documentary that was done on this movie, which uh, was, was very good. It was very insightful and it was a very deep look because not only was it just the production of the movie, but showing how the production kind of affected the local community. So they interviewed a lot of people who 
they either had praise or concerns with the film set. There's a lot of people complaining about the film set and how it affected, you know, their way of life. There's people praising it because, you know, it, it boosted economy and things and uh, jobs and stuff for, for the local community. So it was, it was really interesting making of documentary. Let's have you right there. So this was filmed on an active street? It was shot over eight weeks and entirely on Stuyvesant Avenue between Quincy Street and Lexington Avenue and the Bedford Stuyvesant neighborhood of Brooklyn. Okay. Active living street. So this is why people had the mixed. Yeah. Mixed reactions to it because some people were like, I feel like I got to walk on eggshells and be quiet whenever I have to go do something. But some people were like, oh, it's so fun. It's going to bring awareness to our community and blah, blah, blah. So it was was really interesting to see those opinions from these people. The town from Jaws. Martha's Vineyard in general. Just trying to, you know, tie it all together. Yeah. Sorry. Mariah yelled at me for three minutes. We had to cut it out. (laughs) I know. I Yeah. No, I mean, with Martha's Vineyard, like we talked about in all the way back in episode one. Yeah. They made them put like trash back in the exact place and did. Yeah. Some some people were very unhappy. Some people were happy, but a lot of people were unhappy. Similar vibes. I made a connection. My synapses fired. Good job, Miles. I'm proud of you. You can have a cookie that's called positive reinforcement and encourages you to (laughs) think more about these things. There are cookies in front of us too. Yes. Stefan Cookie und Podcast. Yippee! Das ist gelesen. Oh, ich leben. Apparently, Spike got the initial idea for the movie (laughs) after watching an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, which is an anthology show uh, hosted and produced by the H-A-H, double chin, British heaven bulldog man himself, Alfred Hitchcock. had a death mask made of his face and that I hung placed my in, in the building. The DMC. In the uh, yeah. Digital Media Center at our undergrad. Yes, as, as a, a shrine to cinema, we had this man's molded dead face hanging on a wall, and I kissed it repeatedly. Quick note, we didn't mold his face. Where did we get that? I'm sure you can find it somewhere. You, you just buy one on Amazon, probably. Probably. Keep going. But anyways, he got the concept of the story mainly from this episode of this Alfred Hitchcock show where the characters in it um, talked about how they thought hot weather increases violent tendencies in people. Doesn't it? Um, I oh. believe so. I believe this study's been done. Also, just it's a common literary theme. Um, I've said I, this cer- be- I certainly get angrier. Yeah, if if it's hot, I will kill you. Yeah, I I have killed in the heat before, um, but in things like Romeo and Juliet, you know, when the violence escalates kind of towards the third act of the film, it's because it's like really hot. <laughs> film, <sighs> film. I called it a film. Romeo and Juliet is actually a play <laughs> That's written sh- by William Shakespeare. Uh, you're so true. Yeah, also inspired by real life killings of African American men and women. So. There's that. We've Miles, spent enough. you can't respond to that with that kind of enthusiasm. <laughs> Classic. Anyways, yeah, inspired by real life, uh, some real life killings and attacks of African-American people. So um, one of the most important ones was the Howard Beach racial attack in 1986, where um, a man was attacked outside a pizzeria and there was a baseball bat involved. So elements and of the film. And at one point they chant yeah, Howard they Beach, that, right? Howard yeah. Beach, which, yeah. There you go. You got it. Good job. Uh, Spike wrote the script in two weeks. I hate when writers do that. We talked about John Hughes writing scripts really fast too, and I'm like, how? I was gonna say two weeks. It's 
guy's slow. I don't know. This Too weak. It's, it's got to be one of those things where they got it cooking in their brain for a while, so they don't, you know, whatever. That's um, really cool, though. I wish I could do that. Early draft of the script ended with more reconciliation between Sal and Mookie, and apparently there's going to be a thing where Sal says something that kind of mimics what Demare said earlier in the film about kind of like doing the right thing and sort of thing, which would suggest that, like, I don't know, Sal had a greater understanding of Mookie's actions, you know, and things like that. But um, for whatever reason, Spike changed the script and changed things around. Um, I think maybe for the best, because as we'll talk later, I think the ambiguity of this movie makes it work really well. Yes, I agree. Um, But with a small budget of $6 million, which is a small budget, the spending had to be rather tight. In fact, they had six weeks to prep the construction of the Korean market the radio station, and the pizzeria, which were all not real buildings, of course, and uh, were all fake facades. Fooled. Okay. That seems like a lot of work. <laughs> it's yeah. a movie, dude. <laughs> Movies are a lot of work. And yeah, the production designer, Wynn Thomas, was like, I want to make these look real and lived in and blah, blah, blah. And apparently they had people who would try to walk in and like buy pizza and stuff. And they'd be like, no. Nah, That's how real. they knew it worked. Oh, real. So he's like, yeah, that felt good. Um, they actually employed a lot of the local community to help uh, the production, which is pretty cool. There was a lot of people who were like, oh, I see you're doing construction. I want to like, you guys need any help? You got any help? You want any hands? And they're like, yeah, you want to help build sets or tear down or deal with the cleanup, direct traffic and stuff? And they're like, yeah, come ahead. So they hired a lot of people. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, William Muhammad and the Fruit of Islam helped with religious fortitude Actually, they uh they were there to clear out the local crack dens. Um oh. Oh. because that was kind of an issue for filming. And this had an adverse effect where um local drug dealers would harass the cast and crew because they moved all the uh yeah. what the is people this? addicted to the drugs out. Train and so spotting. What's well, crack, right? No, it's that's heroin. heroin. Um I don't have a great <laughs> understanding of drugs. Stefan. I do. I take them all the time. But anyways, yeah, the drug dealers would just kind of like harass people and yell at them all the time. And apparently there's some altercation with Sam Jackson, a drug dealer, where he got mad and yelled at one of them. Like, rah, rah, rah. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Yeah, Crazy how stuff. How dare he yell out a drug dealer? They made model diagrams of the street, kind of like, sort of like what Kubrick would do, but less anal and stupid. <laughs> um, and of course, remember- That, that was like for- Pre-production planning. About yeah, like pre-production planning, like you know, where they had like the whole set, the whole street kind of made out. Because remember, this movie takes place in one day, but shot over eight weeks. Yeah. So there's a lot of things you got to consider, you know. You got to make sure the time of day is correct every time you shoot. You got to make sure every car is parked in the same place. You got to make sure they're wearing the same clothes for everybody. Yeah. Most of the principal actors had to be around all the time because you can see them in the background of other shots. Mm-hmm. Even though they don't have any lines, they're just sort of there. So yeah. a lot of the cast just kind of had to always be present so i of, specifically noticed martin lawrence a lot in the martin background lawrence there's a there's a couple of bits where you see um samuel jackson in the recording booth as they yeah. they walk there was past that one, oh, who who's talking in the foreground and it's, he's in the background Vito like, and mookie are talking oh and he's is that when he's telling him like you should smack your brother next time he like yeah i you. think so and then he's like Jackson's pointing the, to his stomach and he's like, get in here, I'm hungry. He's in the background. Right, he's back there. <laughs> I remember the scene. I don't. I didn't see him doing that. Yeah, he's that. in the background yeah. just like stealing the show. It's, it's great. Funny. <laughs> there's a couple of times where there's characters just kind of in the background like, look at me, doing that kind of yeah, thing. It's fun. Now we're going to talk a bit about casting and this is kind of going to be the bulk of our conversation here because 
each of the actors approached their characters differently. And um, I think it was a really good way to sort of depict the community that they were depicting because a lot of the actors came at them from real life experiences of people they knew and communities and blah, 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 blah. Spike Lee. The man was in his own movie. I don't know how you guys feel about it. I kind of don't like when people do that. I actually... I think he did okay here. I think it's fine. I was going to talk about this. I, I didn't know if we were going to talk about it later. Because yeah. I also typically have a thing about directors kind of starring on their own thing. And I think kind of the biggest example of this that kind of pisses me off is Braveheart. Which I know that this that's like nothing at all like this movie. But I hate when directors put themselves in and make themselves just the absolute hero and i think a lot of times when they're not the hero it works for me and especially because this is an ensemble cast movie and Mookie is a deeply flawed individual they're all deeply flawed individuals for me it works it doesn't really bother mm-hmm. me i think more than anything i'm like impressed that he can do it because as someone who's studying directing i can't imagine trying to be in front of the camera while still directing like that i, I could not do that mm-hmm. um so for me, it doesn't actually really bother me all that much. Yeah. Also, an important thing for Spike Lee's motivation of his character was he he was trying to portray what he felt was a very large demographic of African-American men in the country right now where he, he was like, you know, a lot of African-American young men are very concerned with just kind of making money and not being held to a lot of the responsibilities. And so that's like the character he wanted to portray and, and show kind of the flaws of disregarding your community and the people you know for um for money and jobs and such so that was his motivation for this character and his uh his motivations <sighs> rosie perez who played tina the girlfriend uh spike lee's girlfriend um she didn't have a whole lot of take yes miles spike lee's actual girlfriend or no okay just um a lady nice he met her apparently there was i read something where it was like they're at some concert and she climbed up on a speaker and was being crazy and he was like, get down. And then he got down and he was like, whoa, you're so wild. Like, I want you in my movie kind of thing. <laughs> Interesting. Um, he felt that, uh, or she felt that uh, Tina was not tied to Mookie. She was like, oh, she can go and leave whenever she wants. But, you know, she likes him. She stays around. That's kind of thing. She didn't really have a whole lot of motivation for her character. Um, this was her debut performance. And uh, the biggest thing to talk about with her and her performance is unfortunately we have bad news and uh she was not very comfortable with the nude scenes reportedly that did not go up to par what we'd like to see and she said that the reason that in the scenes with ice cubes the reason her head's cut out of frame is because she was crying because she was so uncomfortable and nervous about the whole thing so that unfortunately is some bad news for us however good news is Spike and and Rosie have like got together over this and discussed this and they've made amends and they say they're friends now and she says she forgives him and such and such. But that is unfortunately a very deplorable thing, especially when it's the director, writer and like leading character of the movie kind of doing these things. It's, it's the power, power dynamic, dynamic. It's, is it's very bad is very bad. So did she know that there was going to be nude scenes when she signed on or um not? i think so no th- uh, that's not to say like mm. well if it's in there she should have expected it and she should have just sucked it mm. up and done it that's not what i'm saying i'm, I'm, I'm pretty curious. sure she did because some of her concerns was she was like i was so worried about like my family seeing this movie like this is something yeah. i like kind of wanted to do but i was so worried about how people receive it i couldn't find details but she was like the atmosphere of the 
the set when they were doing those scenes just wasn't right and she was like it's just very uncomfortable and i was very nervous and scared and apparently not a lot was done to reconcile that make her feel better about the situation so oof okay it 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 is better that they've retroactively discussed this and they've gotten together and figured things out but it's unfortunate that it happened yeah. in the first place super cool that they got to reconcile um <laughs> if you're not going to show her face why still put her through it why not just get someone else yeah i don't know i uh, I don't know. And, you know, I, I do I kind of have this whole philosophy with, you know, when it comes to nude scenes and things like this, when when you cut someone's head out of the frame in like a nude thing, you you are explicitly making them a, you are objectifying them to the highest degree. You have removed their identity from the equation. They you are, are you are looking at them literally just as desired pieces of body. Yeah. And so even regardless if, if that was done as an act because she was crying or if that because that was a stylistic choice, it, it's just high objectification and it, no, it doesn't give her any pow- empowerment with yeah. what's what's going on no more yeah. than a meat catalog for yeah. men to to flip through and so, all that i think the biggest gripe i have with this movie is not only that this happened with with rosie perez but also this the kind of that relationship in general i feel like isn't really it's not really developed and it's kind of unneeded to show it this this thing with the like yeah I, that's like the one part of this movie that i'm kind of like uh well for me that was after we watched it that was one of the things that i said where i just felt like the relationship like the story could have functioned perfectly fine without it yeah yeah uh and it also kind of indicates that all he needs to do is go there once a week and she's happy because mm-hmm. he's that good of a guy mm-hmm it made more sense to show nudity in a movie like she's got to have it because it's all about yeah. her sexual freedom. Yeah. But in this one, it's not the point. No. All right. We're going to move on. We're going to move on to Danny Aiello, who played Sal. Um, originally, they were going to cast Robert De Niro mm. to be in this movie. He was like down to be in it. He was down to be in it, but Damn. scheduling um, conflicts got in the way and he couldn't do it. So he is one of the faces on the wall, though. In, yeah, in the yeah, yeah. Robert De Niro, if I remember correctly. He is in that Robin Williams movie that I watched. Awakenings. Awakening. That's yes. Robert De Niro? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. That's <laughs> what you know Robert De Niro, De Niro from? Oh. Okay. What else is he in? Are, we, are you being serious? Where do I begin? <laughs> are you being serious? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What Good, Goodfellas? Taxi Driver? Raging Bull? I only saw Taxi Driver once. Is he the main guy in Taxi Driver? Yes. Yeah. Younger Robert De Niro. He's, I, I like don't even know what <laughs> yeah. else is, he's this been, isn't he's been in so many things. I He'll don't be even... on our next movie that we're covering, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. Anyways, it was going to be Robert De Niro, wasn't, but he <laughs> couldn't do it. But his, his picture's on the wall. Also, Frank Sinatra's picture's on the wall. Later down the road, Spike Lee was doing a movie and he wanted to use a Frank Sinatra song. So he reached out to him. Frank Sinatra's like, you had my photo on the wall. I'm not going to let you use my song. Interesting. But apparently they figured it out and he's like, okay. yeah, fine, you can use my song. But he was like, whoa, you're the guy who put my thing. And he's like, you saw my movie? And he's like, yeah. So Yeah. Yeah. In- well, where's Mario? Interesting, Ted. Yeah. Where is Mario? Where's Mario? Where's Chris Pratt? Pacino was on the wall. Everyone's favorite Italian, Chris Pratt. I need my... He's not Italian. Italian. It's a me. Mario. Chris Pratt. Yoshi. It's a me. Mario. That's pretty good. You're Charles Martin right here. Interesting thing about Sal, Danny Aiello did not think that his character Sal was racist. Um, I don't think Sal's. I think it's complicated. Spike Spike disagreed with him, and so oh. Sal actually fights Spike a lot on this. Well, and I think Danny he tried to make him very likable. 
And I think he sort of subverted a lot of what Spike expected for the character to be by making him kind of likable. And one of you can talk now about your thoughts on this opinion. Uh, okay, <laughs> while I, was, I recuperate myself. I was gonna say, um, I don't, I don't think Sal's super racist. But if Spike is like, no, he's racist, then I guess he's racist. Yeah, I feel like it's <laughs> it's really hard to come at this as a white person. Yeah, it, it is you very, know, yeah, it's very complicated. I have a very specific worldview of how things work. I think I think he's definitely prejudiced. So in that in that case, yes, he is yeah. definitely yeah, I think, racist. I think I'm, a, I'm a dumb bitch white man. I think it's prejudiced, but in in a very complex way and in a sort of subconscious way. One line specifically, I was telling Mariah about this, where earlier in the movie, when Bugging Out talks about the pictures on the wall, you know, we should get. Uh, black people up there and he's like no this is my place this is what it like you get your own place you can do your own thing and bugging out's like oh well we give you money like we support your shop you're the only reason you have this shop so like i feel like we have some say and then later when he's having a discussion with his son pino he and his son pino's like oh my friends make fun of me because you know i work in this black neighborhood he's like well do the do they you know pay for your roof do they you know give you the money to support you financially to buy your clothes blah 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 which I'm not sure if he's entirely referring to, you know, the black community that he mm-hmm. lives in, supporting them. That's if, how I took it But if he is, it's in direct contradiction to how he responded to Bugging Out telling him that earlier. So I, there's this sort of hypocrisy with this character. And I think he has this sort of subconscious prejudice where he's not outwardly racist like his son. Yeah. But in his mind, in the back of his head, he does kind of have these double standards for how things are and operate. And I, I think that's a very good way to show kind of the complexity of how this kind of thing works. Because I, I feel like oftentimes in movies when they depict racism, it's just like, I hate you because you're black. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times it's like, it's this deeply rooted psychological thing that you might not even really be aware of how how deeply it is in you and how it affects how you interact with people. Yeah, I was gonna say, if anything, I would say maybe he views them more as like a source of income. You know, then you know but it's also hard because people, but i think one of the biggest things that is you know when he's like yeah these people grew up on my food yeah like he like he he does feel connected with this so yeah it, it's he, very complex if he is racist or prejudiced i i think it's in a very complex way um and it's not just like i hate black people which his son does mm-hmm. pino or pino pino john tuturo we're not there brother yet. what's that Vito. Vito. Pino Vito. How'd you name your kids oh. that? Anyway. And also, interesting thing about Danny Aiello is he pulled his performance from when he was young. He lived in a neighborhood where they had a candy store and they always picked on the candy store owner. And he was like, as a kid, we always hated this guy, but as he got older and the candy store guy like moved away, they're like, oh, we kind of miss him. Like, Aww. he was like, I wanted to play this character as someone who was fair to everyone, but equally bad to everybody. Okay. Was, was yeah. his, um, I see, because on one hand, he's like, ah, shop's closed, but, you know, let him in, let him have a slice of pizza. At the same time, extra cheese, two bucks. Yeah. Complicated. I'll speak real quick. Roger Gunvir Smith played Smiley, the guy with the stutter. Mm -hmm. It's more than a stutter, I would think, by his performance. Yes. Which he does not have. So that's another kind of like, ah, but I don't know. Everyone was doing, doing this back in the 80s and 90s. It was so cool to be like, look at me playing a disability. Um, but uh, things haven't changed that much. But I, I feel like his character operates best as like essentially just a metaphor. He has a very important message to say, but he can't speak it. It's kind of like a metaphor on social justice movements in general, where 
the the message is important needs to be heard but the uh, execution of it and the way that other people receive the message is is flawed and interrupted which affects how the message is received so it's just a big metaphor, his character, essentially, the, how I uh, took it. The only times that he manages to give someone his pictures of MLK or Malcolm X, uh, the first one is when Mookie's like in a rush and he like doesn't yeah. even really pay any attention. Uh, the second one is, does does Sal get one or does he walk away from Sal before Sal can get it? I don't know. That was a little unclear to me. But then obviously at the very end, he puts that photo up mm-hmm. on the wall of fame but those are the only times that he manages to like actually yeah. give those away. Mm-hmm. So one is for somebody who's in a rush and isn't going to look at it. And the second time is for a burned down building that nobody's going to go in. Yeah. Y'all got way more out of him than I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked at him and I went, goofy man. And that's Goofy it. man. All right. Um, I'm, a, I'm a surface level dumb dumb. We'll go on to John Turturro Fino. This one's actually racist. Yeah, he is. Is he? Um, <laughs> well, yeah. not not. He says, "I hate n words" like three oh, times. Not not like the actor. Uh, yeah, no, no. John, John Turturro is a homie. We like John Turturro, but his character. Yeah, no, yeah, his character. His character is <laughs> actually. I was racist. like, "How did you miss that, Miles?" Um, <laughs> like, I wasn't really getting that from yeah. his character. Yeah. I just, you know, I don't know. People say things. <laughs> oh, God. Um, he approached this character as someone who's just so deeply unhappy that he points the finger at everybody else, which is yep. how yeah. the character is. Apparently, you know, when they were sort of prepping for this movie, he was like, oh, I'm going to take Spike to like an Italian neighborhood where I grew up so you can kind of like get a feel for the character and like understand things. And so he brought him to like an Italian pizzeria and they were talking to the pizzeria owner there and they were talking about like race and why like black people don't go in Italian neighborhoods. And the pizzeria guy said, well, if I see a black person here, I know he's up to no good. Not that I'm prejudiced though. <laughs> which is like a funny and John Turturro was like I was so shocked I looked at Spike and it was like he said that like he, he didn't even know Spike was there like he just said it to his face and I was like that's so insane I think that's a really interesting thing though just to tell you like how weirdly complex this stuff is where it's, people can think that way and say those things but not see the fault in it yeah that, I think I think that sometimes it's more dangerous and worse like that because yeah because they go no, but 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 like I'm 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 nice and I'm yeah. not racist, and so then they become really stuck in their ways when you try to prove that they are in mm. fact prejudiced. Yeah, so this Oof. is a very interesting thing that occurred. And then also John Turturro went; he was really involved with his wardrobe and his costuming, and he was like, "Let me, I I want to go out and shop for clothes with my mom." Like he said, that's a costume designer, and they're like, "Okay, fine." So he went and bought clothes with his mom. Which is and, just a tank top apron and then a black yeah. shirt that he well, puts on well, at the end of the day. Yeah, I was like, yeah. the thing is, um, when he shows up, he's wearing black and then inside it's white. And then when he leaves, it's a black, black yeah. outfit. So take whatever um, metaphors and symbolisms from that that you wish. Samuel Jackson. Mr. Senior Love Daddy. And that's the triple truth. Ruth. Ruth. At this time, he's known as the king of cameos. He still kind of is. He was known for, you know, making a really big impression in a very short amount of time. Also, I didn't know this about him. Apparently, one time he got his ankle caught in a subway train in New York, and he was dragged along the platform until someone pulled the emergency cord inside, completely tore his ACL, partial tore his meniscus, and he had surgery and like physical therapy for months. And this was like kind of around this time, I believe. He's back on top now. Yeah, I was like, I never would have thought. I was like, That's such an insane story. Yeah. Sorry, he- my 
jaw had uh, dropped. I guess that's mine, crazy. Mine the Insane. And uh, he also apparently. How did you find that out? Very. I was just like researching um, for this movie. It was it was him talking about kind of his career, and he was like, "Yeah, there was when I was first trying, like starting to get into the business. Like this thing happened, and it was really hard to like recuperate and like find jobs and do this." Hmm. And uh, the point of his character and how Samuel Jackson saw him was. This is another like metaphor character, I think, where he's he's mm-hmm. like the yeah. conscience of the community, right? He's in his box. He doesn't get involved. He talks. He's, I I personally viewed him kind of in like a weird sort of god metaphor, where like he he doesn't get involved. He just sort of talks to them, you know. He's just sort of witnessing everything. He's he's om- omniscient in what all goes on. So another metaphor character for you. I like his uh, squirt gun goggles. Gotta keep yourself busy if keep you work alone busy. in a box all day. Aussie Davis, Damer, I think is one of my favorite characters. Yep, he's yeah. great. Um, he pulled a lot of his performance from personal observations of homeless and you know homeless black men in his life. And uh, there was one quote I liked from him where he said, "You know, I knew powerlessness, I knew the pain and the joy, but more than that, I knew what they were covering up." When he's talking about homeless black men and um. Apparently, he was a very good mediator on set. And so sometimes when they had these like harassing drug dealer problems, he would be the one who'd kind of step in and like cool people down. And I guess he was just a really nice, calm force to have on set. It's kind of similar to his character in that. I was going to say. In that he, way. He's, he's the just, one that when they're ready to fucking crucify mm-hmm. Sal and the boys, he's the, he's trying to be the voice of reason. And yes, he is. He's that. the peacekeeper. He he yeah. takes them aside, puts them behind the gate so they're like safe and out of the way. Yeah. yeah. The man is pretty cool. Saves a kid. Yeah. He does save a kid. He does save a child's life. Despite being a homeless alcoholic, he's probably the best of everyone there. Like what? morally speaking. Uh, who who else is like... Yeah. I mean, I guess... Because even sister, mother, mother, sister, which one? Sister, yeah, sister, sister mother. mother. Even she's like rooting when the fire happens, and then she's crying. Yeah, after that, which I, I didn't understand. Something but. I haven't thought about was yeah, I didn't really under really understand what was going on at the end with her. I mean, a man um, did die, so she could just be right. So I was like, oh, was, was it just the trauma? <laughs> oh, right. Like I didn't know if she was like shouting no because they were putting out the fire, or she was shouting no because of the whole event in general. Like I, I didn't understand what what she was doing or like what was the effect of what was happening with her yeah particularly maybe it was just kind of like she was just traumatized from everything that happened and it's that simple i'm not sure i don't know if she kept the flowers though she kept the flowers that was good yep their little relationship developing over the movie was fun to see mm-hmm. and uh finally we'll talk about Giancarlo. Gian Giancarlo. john john carlo there's a very specific way to say his name john carlo esposito who is bugging out um, he viewed his character as like a political figure, someone who's trying to get other people to think the way he thinks and pushing his sort of agenda on other people. And uh, there's certain things where Spike Lee initially tried to get Giancarlo to not talk as fast. And Giancarlo was like, I'm bugging out. That's what I do. And he's like, OK, fine. <laughs> you can do it. It's my name, man. And uh, as I said, uh, Giancarlo is actually he's black Italian which is a interesting dynamic to have for this movie in particular. He said that, you know, we felt growing up, he was not accepted by the Italian community. Um, he was also not accepted by 
the black community. So who were you friends with? That's right. Jewish people. Did you hey! <laughs> One Hell for the yeah. Jewish people. We'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently he's like, yeah, I hung out with a lot of Jewish people when I was younger because, you know, not the community liked me. Anyways, good work, Giancarlo. I like you. You're really cool. Come on the podcast sometime. Love your work. I promise I won't scuff your shoes up. <sighs> I won't. I won't either. Hey. And uh, that's where we leave actors. With nothing with... Uh, huh? Nothing with radio head Rahim? No. There isn't really anything to say about yeah. any, you know him as a... I mean, we could talk about his character, but in terms Absolutely. of the actor. Okay. I'm going to talk about reception, right? Made $31. million in profit on a $6 million budget. Is immediately met with high critical reception from a lot of people. Other critics are not as convinced, particularly many white critics felt that it was... No. Meant really? it, they felt that it was meant to uh, employ white guilt and make white people feel bad. And Because um, white people... No politics. <laughs> um, and uh, some also thought that uh, it promoted violence among black audiences. And there were remarks made that they were worried riots would begin in theaters when uh, black people watched this movie, which tells you a lot about what they think about black people. Uh, yeah, that's what I was um, going to say. In fact, there was a decent amount of controversy around this movie in that regard. And the president of Universal, which distributed this movie, was pressured to release it later because it was thought that um, there would actually be riots in the summer. The president of Universal, God. Thomas Philip. Pollock was his name. He was still under bodyguard protection from releasing The Last Temptation of Christ, which was getting him death threats from the Christian community. So this man is getting death threats from the Christian community. And then the white community, I guess, was like, you're going to like ruin, you're going to start a race war if you release this movie. And uh, he stuck to his guns and he released it on time. And Good job. Good job on you, man. And look at that. Nothing horrible but happened. Overall, Positive criticism prevailed, and uh, the film is considered an all-time great, especially of those made by African-American filmmakers. And uh, during the awards, the Academy Award announcements in 1990s, uh, Kim Bassinger, who is an LA Confidential, you don't really need to know who she is, she was announcing the awards, and um, she ignored her prompt and said, we've got five great films here, and they're great for one reason, because they tell the truth, but there's one film missing from this list, that deserves to be on it because ironically it might tell the biggest truth of all and that's do the right thing but yeah it didn't get as much reception as it probably deserved because of these weird concerns that people and the only nominations it got were screenplay and supporting actor yes danny danny aello the white guy yeah the the white guy got the nom which he did a good job in it don't get me wrong did do a good job and but, um, nah, I'm not as big of a character as. Well, uh, he's pretty big. He's, but, yeah, but he's not like. But you know, when you, when you take no, a look, he's at not the, Mookie, is what I'm saying. When you, when you take a look at the ensemble cast and <laughs> the fact that the one you pick, three are white. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's all I got. I got some trivia for you. But after trivia. that, we Hit can me. get trivia. into discussion. Trivia. 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 Melvin Van get, Peebles. Uh, actually, actually um, can I get? Can I get? Do the right thing for four hundred. Wrong. Shit. Melvin Van Peebles. I know that name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a very prominent um, African-American actor, producer. He's Yo. best known for um, Sweetback's badass song. 
mm-hmm. which is if if you guys have never seen it, it's spelled B A A D A S S S S S S S S S S. Kind of funny. Very prominent African American filmmaker. He showed up to sort of commemorate when they began shooting for this film. They kind of had like a little. All the people in the community gathered around. They had a megaphone. He showed up. They gave words. Great. They used, in some of the shots of the cinematography, they used a can of sterno, which is like a gas can that emits heat. Um, and they'd hold it just in front of the lens so you can get those heat oh, waves oh. rising up into the frame. Yeah, nice. Pretty neat, pretty cool. Fight the Power, the song in the movie, was mm-hmm. written for the movie really? by Public Enemy. Yep, because that's a big one. You guys are huh. Fight the Power. Yep. And, it was uh, made for the movie? Yeah, for the movie by it, Public Enemy. Did it come out before or? Because he's talking about how, like how great of a song it is. I figured. I'm assuming they just wrote it into the world. Yeah. This is also Martin Lawrence's first film role. Miles, you probably don't know who the, he was. The guy. Say it again. Say his name again. Martin Lawrence. Sounds familiar. He's a guy who he's talking like this with his tongue, kind of in in the lip of his mouth like this a lot, and he's like, "What are you doing?" He's doing like a bit. I'm surprised you didn't pick up on that. Honestly, I can't even remember the character. He's, he, I mean, yeah, he wasn't a big character. He was just kind of like, he's one of the, there was like the group of friends that would kind of okay, like yeah. roam around and sometimes cause trouble, like at the fire hydrant and stuff. He's like one of those group of friends. Oh, okay. Yeah. I do. He had, he talked like this and he like stand funny. Was he one of the people who was like, he scuffed your shoes, man? Yes. Yep. Man. He was the one that was directly yelling into his ear. Okay. Being like, scuffed your shoes. He did the thing with his tongue. I don't know why. Ah, but that's uh, all I have for you. I'm going to, we're going to do a discussion. I'm going to kind of lead it rather than us just descending into madness. Thoughts on the opening? I think the in, backdrops work. I think with it. her outfits of like the boxer work is cool. You know, fight the power, boxing, New York backdrop. Yeah. New York. Again, New York. Did, didn't hate it. Didn't love it. Very neutral. New on York. It. I didn't even consider it the beginning. New York City. Um, actually, you know what? Maybe I don't. That, that sounds so familiar. Um, it's a TikTok sound, dude. You should know. You watch movies on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you really New are. York City. You really are the most devious yeah, bastard. New, New York, York City. City. Yep. Something I think is good about this movie. I think it's a very good depiction of community. Lots of varied characters with different motivations and different experiences. Um, they all feel very different. Um, they feel real, if not exaggerated. They feel like real people. I think it's very good to see how they interact with each other, you know, sort of symbiotic nature of the environment. I don't know if you uh, you guys have any thoughts on community and community depicted in this film. I, there's one thing I really enjoyed about this movie is the street very much so felt alive. Yes. It felt like, you know, it was just all these people living their lives. Each person has their own thing going on mm-hmm. uh, I think we can move on yeah okay. I agree moving on um, I thought a lot of the cutaway segments were fun we don't get a lot but like specifically you know the uh, arsenal of racial slurs cutaway was was really neat I think the way that it's done almost sort of implies it's like inner monologues when when one is them having this co- heated conversation about race and then it cuts to them giving these insults directly into the camera it's kind of like oh this is what's on everyone's minds you know it's a, it's a very expressive move it's not very spikely yeah it's a very spikely it's a very expressive thing it's not something you can interpret literally they're not actually just like standing there curling yeah. insults <laughs> yeah. into nothing yeah but i think it's a very fun expressive way to sort of depict the 
atmosphere of the community at that moment. Well, not only is it like this is what's it's it shows that like everybody does it. Mm-hmm. Everybody has somebody that they are not friendly to. For a lack, I mean, of yeah. I, again, this this concept of the complexity of these racial issues, where it it uh, it all the hate and the anger all bounces around everybody, and it ricochets and. Someone hates this, someone hates that, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the, the complexity of it. There's no black and white, as we say. I no. will say, I don't know what the Korean shop owners have against the Jewish people. <laughs> like, we did anything. Actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so now we're getting to the big, the big meaty ones that I'm sure Mariah's been waiting for. Miles, do you, okay. end of the film, uh-huh. this is a big discussion for this movie, when he throws the trash can into Sal's shop in his pizzeria, uh-huh. is he doing that to save Sal's life and divert the crowd's attention from Sal? This is an open-ended question. Okay, I'll, I'll take Mariah it can first. jump in. We can consider it. Yeah, when he goes to get the trash can, I don't know about you guys, but I was like, oh, he's going to use it to stand on it and, and say something. Give a rousing speech. That's I what I... When he grabbed the lid, I thought that he was going to use it as like a drum thing to like grab everyone's attention but then yeah he subverts our expectation and he's the one who throws a trash can into the the pizzeria i mean minutes after sal has just said i consider you my own son Mm -hmm. you know and so i think the reason he steps away i mean it's like a very powerful moment when it's sal vito and pino and mookie on one side and the rest of the neighborhood on the other and the mookie steps away and you see him just kind of calculating Mm. Is that when Demare comes in and tries to like make Demare Demare comes in shortly after Mookie steps away. He's yeah. like, okay, let's just all go home. Like, let's not do anything that we're gonna regret. Let's just yeah. like cool down. Um, and when that's clearly not working, yeah, he does that. So I think, I think he does do it because this neighborhood is rightfully angry yeah, at the death are, yeah. of um a member of their own community, and they are and if blood, and if they are going to take it out on something or somebody it's probably best that it is a place and not a person yeah which i like it makes it very again the complexity of this the complexity of the morality and of the issues and in the relationships is very very important there's there's at every turn something kind of complexes the issue you know you know they showed up into the shop to sort of cause trouble but then sal's the one who breaks the radio but then radio rahim is going to kill sal Right, he's yeah. choking him, and then the police show up, and then the police cause an issue. So it's at every turn, it moves and shifts, and you can't point the finger at any one thing. Well, and also, you know, right before that, throughout the whole day, Bugginow has been trying to get people to boycott Sal's, mm-hmm. and everybody says, "Why would we do that? We love Sal's." Yeah. Twelve hours after say they lo- after saying they love Sal's, they're destroying the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not that simple because it's. I mean, it's not Sal's fault that. No. Brady Raheem dies. It's, yeah. But, it, yeah, he didn't kill him. Yeah, it's it's if anything, it's the fault of, you know, the police. Um and especially at the end, kinda before they burn the place down, there's this like um what would you call it? I guess it's it's like a dolly shot of them each kind of shouting their own sort of opinion on the situation of the bystanders. And, you know, some people says this one, you know, smiley's like, you know, one of the cops was black, you know this and that and then they're bringing up different things and it just shows you how everything is dissented into confusion and 
everyone starts sort of reacting. Again, drawing back to the heat, maybe maybe he could blame it all on the heat, I guess, which was Spike's intention, you know, when he, not intention, but inspiration for this movie. Well, and one thing that I find very interesting about that is that like going going into this, I knew that the kind of the overall premise was like on the hottest day, racial tensions rise. I knew mm-hmm. that that was like at the core of it. And so I find it very interesting that at the coolest part of the day yeah. is when this happens. I mm-hmm. was also thinking that because like throughout the whole day, everyone's kind of at the very least somewhat jovial because uh, they have the whole playing with the water bit. Seems it's a, it's a high moment. They're all having fun. Yeah, you think it would only get cooler throughout the rest mm-hmm. of the day. And doesn't I mean even like the mayor mentions like, oh thank God it's getting cooler. Yeah, well, but it's not. There, there's one line. This this could be reading into it too much potentially. There's one line at the very beginning with Senor Love Daddy where he's giving his opening monologue and he says something like, "It's hot now, but it's been cold in winter." Make sure you like absorb all the heat now so you have it for later. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if that is just him being funny or if we could apply that to the situation where because tensions have built and risen so much throughout the day, everyone's just sort of been holding on to this energy. And so now at the end of the day, even though it's cooler, they're finally releasing it and letting it go. Yeah. That's one way to look at this. I never talked about uh, what I thought about whether or not he... No. Through the trash can. No, me and Mariah just prattled on like a bunch of chortling yolks. I think, here's both arguments. One, leading up to him actually throwing the trash can in, except for when he grabbed it. Once he grabbed it, I was like, oh, this motherfucker going to throw it through the window. But before that, I was like, oh, he's going to, you know, try to divert the crowd's attention. And then after he goes like, well, dude, you're going to get the insurance money back. It's not that big of a deal. You know, we know how these things go. So it seems like he he knew at the very least monetarily he wasn't going to be in any trouble. But on. Yeah, he's like, it's going to suck. But, you know, at the very least, this and that. On the flip side, he is very displeased Mm -hmm. at Sal for pursuing his sister. Mm-hmm. And that happens pretty close to that, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's definitely towards the end there. So this could be like the final straw for Mookie. And mm-hmm. that he's like, this motherfucker's not giving me my money. He's trying to fuck my sister. He has played a part in the murder of uh, Radiohead. Radio Rahim. <laughs> Radiohead. Um, <laughs> Radio Rahim. And this could be his like breaking point. Yeah. But... Personally, I think it's just he did it to advert attention. Which, you know, I initially didn't read it as that because I was like, why would he do that? Because throughout the film, throughout the day, when Bugganaut's in there, he's the one who takes Bugganaut outside, mm-hmm. calms him down. He's the one who's kind of playing peacemaker. You know, again, like I mentioned, Sal, minutes before, basically is like, you always have a place here. You're basically mm-hmm. like one of my sons. So for him to do something that's so out of character, to me, that indicates that he did yeah. it on purpose for Sal. Yeah. And I was just going to say, I do think there's a level of, I think, agitation that isn't overtly discussed in the movie with the concept of him being a worker for the Italians, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like he's a part of the family, but he's not a part of the family, right? Even in that conversation, yeah. he's like, I'm going to call it Sal and Sons. Hey, you're like a son to me, but not Sal and Sons, Sons. You know, like, I think, especially being a black man working for Italian-Americans, this, like, 
I'm, I, you know, I'm just a part of their bidding and they can say I'm as good and they love me as much as they want. But at, at the, the end of the day, day yeah. you know, so I think that's another aspect of this to consider. For sure. Now, to, I said earlier that I hated Mookie. <laughs> yeah. Are you I'd taking like it to, back? I'd like to clarify. <laughs> okay. No, I still hate Mookie. The ending actions aside, that's not a part of why I hate Mookie. Okay. I hate the man for his work ethic. I, I do think <laughs> he's flawed. He's a piece of... He's like, money, money, money. And then he does the fucking... And as I will say, feel free to do the bare minimum at work. Quiet quit all you'll want. <laughs> but... Quiet quit. <laughs> Taking a shower, going to see a lady. Oh my God, you're like, I don't give a fuck. The audacity and the at like like every moment, Sal's like, dude, <laughs> please for the love of God, just I'm giving you a second chance, and he spits in his face. I I, I thought about that too, and I want I wondered if maybe that also correlates to what I was just talking about, where it's it's the line of defiance that he has you know it's a defiance is a it's a power that he has over sal is by doing this yeah and by not you know operating to the pristine levels that he wants it's it's the power that he has over him i don't know if that's reading into it but i kind of thought maybe that was part of their dynamic is it's like screw you like i can kind of i my free i have my free will i can kind of do whatever i want like i'm gonna do what i want for you like what you want me to do but on my own time yeah, that's a lot. I was gonna. I had kind of a side tangent that maybe would might be too side tangent, too political. Not political, but I don't know. Too much for us. We'll see. Go for it. Um, referring to the ending quotes. Um, I don't. I know, Mariah. You have them. I don't know if we want to read them off because they're kind of long. Um, I did not read the ending quotes. I think Are they're very joking? important. <laughs> Are you joking? No, Miles. I am oh, sorry. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, then okay, we're reading. Well, them. now we have to read them. Okay, I, if you if you don't want to hear it, just skip. I forward. knew. I started <laughs> reading. I thought there was only going to be one. I thought there was only going to be the first one. That's so insane. That's so insane. I thought the you movie watch was a over. movie on TikTok in thirty-five parts, and you won't read the quotes at the end to do the right thing. <laughs> Holy was, shit, dude! It was oh. like it was like twelve o'clock at night. I wanted to. I was sleepy. I wanted to go to bed. Perpetually eepy. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, Mariah. I, I had. I knew the first quote, and I was like, "All right, they're gonna throw. They're gonna show one quote. I'll call it a day." And then I did. <laughs> right. I the, the look of shock I on Mariah's the, face. Yeah. Oh. I, of all, all right. the movies, I know, like, like you know how many movies have like bullshit quotes at the end. That one's like a. That's what I thought this was gonna be. This is like the most. This but, is like. Ugh. Okay, so I've been bred to not care about the end quotes. I'm sorry. So just because Miles didn't read these, I I already pulled them out because I think they're really yeah. important. If you don't want to listen to the quotes, you can you can skip ahead a minute or whatever. Um, but credits roll. These two quotes are read out. Violence as a way of achieving racial justice is both impractical and immoral. It is impractical because it is a descending spiral ending in destruction for all. The old law of an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. It is immoral because it seeks to humiliate the opponent rather than win his understanding. It seeks to annihilate rather than to convert. Violence is immoral because it thrives on hatred rather than love. It destroys community and makes brotherhood impossible. It leaves society in monologue rather than dialogue. Violence ends by destroying itself. It creates bitterness in the survivors and brutality in the destroyers. 
Martin Luther King Jr. And when you're watching this, you see that and you're like, okay, makes like, sense. There's my one quote. But I think there are plenty of good people in America, but there are also plenty of bad people in America. And the bad ones are the ones who seem to have all the power and be in these positions to block things that you and I need. Because this is the situation, you and I have to preserve the right to do what is necessary to bring an end to that situation. And it doesn't mean that I advocate violence, but at the same time, I am not using it use, against using violence in self-defense. I don't even call it violence when it's self-defense. I call it intelligence. Malcolm X. Love and hate. Yeah, yeah love and hate. Bring it to radio, Raheem's <laughs> knuckles. He right. becomes the martyr that starts... Not starts. Well, kind of starts the whole riot thing. Um, because yeah. you know he's the one who died. I can't um, believe you didn't. That's read those. so funny. That's <laughs> so funny. I'm so, I'm so like important <laughs> to like the whole philosophy of the movie. And you just went, ah, I'm good. Go if it. it makes you feel better, I understand. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I get it. I um. just. <laughs> I pick that up through the movie. It's not. Yeah. It's well, not un. Un, not ununderstandable. It's I get it. What I I, it. I wanted to discuss, and like I said, maybe this goes too far for what our podcast is. Is when Malcolm X is talking about you know self defense, kind of wondering about what the parameters of self defense could be. Because I know generally when we speak about self defense, we're talking in very physical, real life, tangible things that are happening. Like someone's going to punch you in the face, you got to like fight back. But does self-defense correlate to something like, you know, racial injustice? And how do you quantify what self-defense means in that sort of scenario when it's a prevalent, omnipresent, you know, systematic oppression? How do you defend yourself from that? And do these sort of violent, you know, what people would consider violent activities like burning down the market, the pizzeria, is is that self-defense? You know, where do we, how do we classify this was, was the thought I had. And if you guys don't have any answers, we can just move on and leave it there. But well, I will say, self-defense to me kind of has like a kind of victim mentality to it. Okay. And <laughs> to say, to, okay, because for me, if someone's going to say self-defense, mm -hmm. law enforcement and homeowners will use that as an yeah. excuse when they shoot someone. Mm -hmm. So to put... Yeah, I have kind of a negative association with the yeah. term self-defense. So to put that on the community. Mm -hmm. But I understand why you would call it self-defense. Yeah. Um, really, like I said, just what are the boundaries of the concept of self-defense? And does it apply to these sort of things as was my thought, you know? Yeah, I'd say so. I think for me, uh, just immediately, when I think self-defense, my thoughts tend to be more just... I think it applies a little bit to, to immediate situations. Mm -hmm. That's um, that's generally in my mind. Yeah, I mean, too. like legally, you know, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, if we're talking about civil rights, uh, I think the term that I would use instead of self-defense would be like self-preservation, mm. um, mm -hmm. which I think is entirely different. Yeah, that's very different. Okay. All right. Well, if you guys have any thoughts, uh, talk Just to in us. general about the movie. Talk to Well, no, I'm talking to our audience. Or Oh, oh! Yeah, I was like, people okay. listening, you know, hey, let me know, mom, let me know. I'm sure you will. I'm here for it. All right, we're done. We this is the part where we talk about what we like, okay? Or if we have any other comments of discussion we want to bring up. 
I know one thing that I would like to mention. Stefan and I both mentioned this when we were watching it. Well, okay, first of all, one of the scenes that I had seen several times before watching this movie was the love and hate speech mm-hmm. with uh, Radio Rahim. If I, I think- love you, I love you. But if I hate you, I don't remember the rest of the quote. I'm pretty sure that's where he ends. He says, if I hate you, and then he doesn't say anything else. Oh, okay. So you got it. Love that scene. I love the cinematography of that where it like swings around. I love I yep. love a lot of the perspective where they talk right into the camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that I scene. Lo- I well, love that. Radio Rahim is always shown as this kind of dominating. I mean, he's always shot low angle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Low angle, wide lens, pretty close. He'll walk up to the frame and look at you. Yeah. Anyway, um, I love that scene. Um, the scene that was one of my favorites that Stefan and I talked about is when Sal is sitting down mm-hmm. in the pizzeria with yeah. Pino. I want to, I want to preface by saying, yeah, I'm sorry that <laughs> in this movie about racial tensions of black people that I, one of my favorite scenes is the interaction between the two white men. Yeah. Um, but that's when Pino is like, Hey, we should move the pizzeria out of here. My friends make fun of me, and that's when Sal is saying, like, well, they're not your friends. Smiley comes up to the window. Pino starts yelling at him, goes outside. I mm-hmm. First of all, the framing is amazing because it's, the like, framing, through the window. The slow audio. Slow push in. Um, and then you have Sal kind of try to go out and, like, make peace. I think that works really well. There's also one shot, this is not in this scene, where they go, mm-hmm. like, through the door of the pizzeria. Yeah. Phenomenal. I like the cinematography and the production design of this movie a lot. Um, the mm-hmm. colors are very vibrant. The wardrobe is very vibrant. Specifically, I really like those three older men who sit against oh, the red I wall. Like those guys, yeah. That's phenomenal. I love the, their conversations. I love the the red behind. It's hot. It's red. It's, you know, I think that works yeah. really well. Yes. Um, I love all the kind of Dutch angles and the wide angles and the wide lenses that they use, which make it feel mm-hmm. like you kind of like you're watching like a hip hop music video. Yeah. Um, I think that's really great. Those are kind of the main things that I wanted to focus on. We've talked a lot about like theory and analyzing yeah. this. So just for the sake of that, I really like those aspects what about Mm -hmm. you miles despite my inability to retain attention long enough to read the quotes at the end or to understand any of the important minutia of this movie you were passing in and out of your mic if you keep doing that Huh? You're gonna pass in and out of your mic and keep doing that. Yeah, you were. (laughs) You are an interesting audience member. I can tell you that. I'm glad you watched this movie. I'm glad. (laughs) I'm glad you watched this movie. You needed to see this movie. (laughs) Out of anybody, I think maybe you need to see it. Mm -hmm. Oh God. I like the movie. I, (laughs) um, the first half kind of sleeper for me just when it was just like a day in the life i i didn't see i love that shit it it depends for me i want to say the first time i watched this movie i actually wasn't that engaged for like a good portion of the first but then i got into it um i did like the water scene the water scene was fun the guy in the car being like, don't, don't spray yeah. me. Don't spray me. And then they spray him. And, like, what did you and they run away and the cops are like, what do you want me to do Do you think they were it? always yeah. going to spray him? Or is it just because Absolutely. he was like a bitch about but, it yeah, that they sprayed him? They're having a fun water party. If you go through, expect to get watered. Okay. Okay. Get watered. <laughs> get watered. Get watered. Like, <laughs> like it's the plant. Get watered. You have scrub. the chance to go, oh, this isn't the street I want to go down. Back up. Well, go know. around. It's his fault. Fuck you. Um, I liked the, I liked the movie. 
I thought it was good. I like everything it had to say, despite not listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I do like the choice of lenses and the cinematography. All the characters were interesting and unique, and I enjoyed how all of them interacted with one another. And um, I enjoyed that they all got to interact with one another, and it wasn't just like, okay, here's Mookie like going out through his entire day. And it's just him. Some parts did bore me more than others, especially the the like Mookie going off to see his girlfriend. I didn't. I was like, eh, eh, I don't need yep. it. I will say though, I did enjoy Demare interacting with sister, mother, sister. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna say sister, mother, sister, so it covers both ends. Because <laughs> I can never remember which one it is. I do like the three middle aged men talking. Mm-hmm. So maybe I did enjoy all the shenanigans more than I originally <laughs> led. Yeah. Anyway, I like the movie. I understand the concepts. I'm just too stupid and dumb to fully grasp it. So uh, one thing I forgot to mention about what I really like about this movie is this is not a very good comparison, but it's the one that I have, which is in the movie The Death of Stalin, which is like, I, mm. I love the movie to death. Um, it goes Stalin. from just an absolute kind of comedy with very dark things going on in the background. By the end, you're not laughing. And that's how this one kind of was for me, which is there's a lot of very comedic bits. There's still definitely seriousness. But then by the end... Things ramp up like a speeding car. Yeah, I mean, during the during the riot scene, there's mm-hmm. nothing funny about that. There's no. there's no more jokes being made. There's no It's not lighthearted. And, you know, when, when we watch movies, Stefan and I, like, we typically, you know, chat a little bit mm-hmm. throughout... Not a word was spoken the last like thirty five minutes of this movie. There's not a yeah. single wiener joke in that last bit. That is what Federico Fellini calls the volta or the turn of the tide. Um, yeah, I think I story. think that transition is seamless in this I, movie. I, I love that. I love whenever they just change the tone and the emotion. It's like oh, like in the lighthouse. I had heard that it was goofy and then serious and then goofy and then serious. I mean, they fart sometimes. <laughs> That's pretty goofy. <laughs> That's pretty goofy. <laughs> Uh, that's I kinda... mean, they fart sometimes. <laughs> um, oh, all right, is it my turn? Yeah, go for it. I really like this movie. First things first, I'll try to get through this kind of quick. Editing, great, spontaneous scene changes. I love the yep, cutaways. Absolutely. Quick editing. I like how sometimes they even, you know, defer from editing and they'll be, they're doing kind of quick pans. In, in, in. There's a conversation with Sal towards the end. I think it's when he's talking about his sister. Or rather than like cutting and doing like some of the close-ups we've seen before, it's just panning back and forth to them in the conversation. Editing, great. Lots could be said there. The cinematography, very wonderful, stylized. You know, yeah, those wide lenses, close-ups. I love when characters just stare into the camera. I really like it. You know, Elam Klimov, a Russian director, did that a lot, and I really love the movie Come and See where it does that. And it's like reminds me of that, where it just uh, gives a lot of power and like these great portrait shots where it's just them, their face and kind of everything, you know, really cool. Like a photographer kind of thing. Mariah, do you have some? There were a couple moments. I forget. Maybe it was the three. Another really important thing about the cinematography and the lighting, which we didn't talk about is they paid a lot of attention to lighting dark skinned people because when you have dark skin, as is the color of nature, when dark colors absorb light more than other colors. So in order to really get the kind of the radiance and the vibrance that a darker skin brings, you need more light. So if you notice in this movie, it's very well lit, but in a very stylized, mm-hmm. fun way. So we get a lot of those bright colors, a lot of warm light on, 
African-American actors. And that was something that's really cool that they um, did in this movie. I think the whole community aspect is something I really like. There was a time where I still kind of do this where I, these are sort of stories that I want to write in the sense where it's like it's a lot of kooky people kind of cooperating and operating together. Like the, this movie, I do think, has made a huge impact on my creative outlook and how I'm going to approach stories in terms of developing characters that have complex motivations that interact and intertwine with other people. I think this movie is a big Big movement for that. And in, ter in terms of moving away from my personal creative, whatever the hell I'm saying, something I want to talk about this movie is the dislikes. The Rosie Perez thing. Yeah. That's a pretty big dislike. Yeah, that one's kind of hard. And this one isn't a dislike of the movie. Maybe it's, it's, if anything, it's more of a dislike of me. Don't hate me. Going into this movie, I was kind of unsure going into this movie. Um, I hadn't seen it before. And I thought I was going to get kind of what those critics said this movie was where it was going to be a lot of like white guilt because I didn't know a lot about Spike Lee so I thought it was just kind of going to be like feel bad that you know you participate in the system and what I got was something that's very much not that and then I felt bad because I was like oh I had this prejudice of what I thought this movie was going to be and Roger Ebert Roger Ebert said something on this that I think um was really well spoken as he said um because he Spike Lee is black and deals with anger he has been categorized as an angry man however it is not anger but rather a certain detached objectivity that we see in his best work and that's what i see in this movie is it's it is surprisingly objective you know like i said you it's not the subjective view of do this do that or this is how it should have been this is what shouldn't have happened it's it's crazy and it's happened and that's how these issues are they're so com complexly interwoven with community and history and language you know all, all of these things play factors and it can't be easily explained one way or another and i ended up loving this movie and it wasn't what i thought it was going to be and so for that i think it's very good and that's that all right what do you write it mariah go amazing i love it i love the ensemble i love how it jumps around from story to story basically everything that you just said i'm gonna give this movie nine jackie robinson jerseys out of ten <laughs> miles what about you I like this movie. Um, I also went into it expecting something different because the only other Spike Lee movie I've seen is She's Gotta Have It, and I actually was not a huge fan of She's Gotta Have It. I am not actually a huge fan of the staring directly into the camera and saying words. Mm. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of it. It seemed a bit jumpy. Um, I'm not a massive fan of that either. The wider scope of it I really did enjoy. Um I liked the, I don't want to say like harshness of the subject matter, but the realness of it. Haha, <laughs> silly man doesn't understand what's going on. But I, I, did, I did like what it had to say. And I do think it's a very important movie in not only the history of film, but in the history of America and everything that people go through. So very good movie, very important movie. Make sure to... Watch the whole thing. <laughs> or, or your, Read both quotes at the read end. Read both quotes. Or your friends will be very upset with you. Um, what do you rate it? I rate it 7.5 boomboxes out of 10. And I, I rate it that not because I disvalue the subject matter, but because it is not a VFX-packed <laughs> movie that, that fuels my love for 
visual effects. It was a real movie about real things, about real people. And I thought, where are the strings? Where's the funny fucking puppeteers and and people drawn on celluloid? I think you should take that critique and we should find Spike Lee. Yeah. And you should <laughs> yeah. say that. Spike Lee, where are the spaceships? Come, come on to the podcast. Um, Stefan, what about you? I give this movie 9 out of 10 slices of pizza. Mariah, let's wrap us up. Yeah, we've recorded long enough. Yeah. Make I feel quick. bad giving it a 7.5 because it doesn't have spaceships in it now. <laughs> you both give it nines. It's okay. You're just a consumer. I'm a, yeah, I'm a little consumer bitch. <laughs> I'm a slave to big movies. Give me the blockbusters. I want more. Mariah, cut them off. Mariah, cut them off. <laughs> I want more Avengers. Okay. Um. Well, next episode, we are covering a movie that is so wildly different than this. We're really doing a full 180 here. Um, I'm going to be covering the 2007 fantasy adventure Stardust. Is, is it going to have visual effects in it? It does. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, you'll, you'll enjoy this one. <laughs> this, is a, this is a family favorite of mine. My Basically, my every single member of my family has requested this. So we're doing it. It's based on a book. We'll be talking about that. It's got Robert De Niro as a sky pirate captain. Wait. It's got Michelle Pfeiffer as a witch queen. Robert De Niro. Oh my god don't do this um in the <laughs> you, meantime you, you, we talk, we talk you, about in the meantime you can find us on social media we are on twitter and instagram at the takes it took and if you you know this conversation has been a little bit deeper <laughs> than some of our other episodes uh-huh. so we would love to hear feedback from you guys any comments that you have um if you have anything of that nature you can send us an email at the takes it took at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you guys but Until our next episode, stay safe, have fun, and watch movies, and we will catch you next time. And don't forget to fight the power. Bye. That's the truth, Ruth. Come on, help me out here. Bye. Honestly, I thought we would mix it up and have you go second on the bye part. And I thought you were just going to pick it up because there was a void, but I guess not. And I know since you're editing this, you're going to keep all of it in. Bye. Bye. Is that a dig at me? Bye. (laughs) You know what? It kind of was. Huh? So what? I like to make it more natural. (laughs) Yours is too snappy. (laughs) 